Yeah, we can make some noise for that. Red Rocks Austin, how we doing? Are you guys good? All right, welcome to church. Can you guys get a little rowdy for me and, and say hello to everybody watching this on YouTube right now? Let's show them some love. That's awesome. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Doug Weckenman, and uh, I would love to meet you, so please come and say hello, and just, just in case there's, just so there's no confusion, we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God, and we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are passionate about building his church, and so I'm not sure what you think you walked into today. I'm not sure what you think you might be watching online right now, but this is not an event, and this is not a YouTube video. This is the church of Jesus Christ, the hope of the entire world, and when you show up here, and when you watch with your family, and when you serve here, and give here, and invite friends here, and pray for your church, you are participating and investing into building the most powerful, irresistible, and unstoppable force that history knows about. What we do here matters, amen? We are kingdom builders. It's what we, it's what we do because it's who we are. It's what we do because it's who we are, and this series for us, because of that, is about far more than just giving or generosity or finances. For Red Rocks Church, this is about legacy, and this is about worship, and this is about building something that will outlive all of us, something that is bigger than ourselves. And so if you're new around here, or maybe, maybe you have some church baggage around the concept of money in church, and just hearing that word makes you feel like you're back in eighth grade health class on sex education, we let me just free you up right off the bat and set you free by telling you we want nothing from you, truly. We want nothing from you. And I can say this with all the integrity in the world, God needs nothing from you. This message is here to build you up, not beat you down. I'm not here to give you an instruction. I simply just have an invitation for all of us, myself included, and for you today. Maybe that invitation just looks like watching and observing a church full of real people with real lack and real bills and burdens to pay just like you, do something that seems slightly dumb or illogical or irresponsible or impossible if God's not real. And let your faith be built by watching a church in action because you're not sitting in an ordinary church. You're sitting in the middle of Red Rocks Church, specifically our Austin, Texas location that is two years old and has made it through a pandemic. We've made it through 2020 and we are not even as old as my two-year-old little boy, okay? And that is because of so many of you and your faithfulness and generosity and we just wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. Not, there, there's not an amount of times that we can say thank you to you for being the church. And we truly believe, like you saw in that video, that God is just getting started through what he wants to do in Red Rocks Church, amen? And so welcome home. Um, a short, quick little update. My wife, since the last time I saw you, had baby number two for us. A little girl, thank you. I know I did so much. Little Kinsley Jane, and she is a cutie. She is easy breezy, and she was almost a car baby. And more to come on that story in a sermon, I'm sure, in the coming weeks, but that's not for today. Today we are going to 2 Corinthians chapter eight, and we're gonna start in verse one. Here we go, it'll be up on the screens. This is Paul, by the way, writing to the church in Corinth. Now friends, oh, 
just right away, you know? Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in the Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. I'm not sure about you. There's a lot of familiarity to that sentence right there. The trial exposed their true colors. Listen to this sentence right here. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. So more money is not going to fix depression or quench ambition. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. So the trials they faced exposed their true colors. That's what trials do. They expose your substance, your character, your true colors. So I'll say this to you. You might have been born selfish, but you were born again generous. Even if you've never acted like it, God has this funny, awesome way of not really seeing you where you are as much as he sees you where you could be. That's why he'll call you righteous while you're still an addict. That's why he'll call you generous before you've given a dime. Why? Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Does that make sense? I was there and I saw it for myself. I feel like Paul's trying to plead with the the readers of this letter. I'm not crazy, you guys, I swear. I was there. I saw this for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than what they could afford. Skip ahead to verse 10. So here's what I think, you guys. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. This is like Denzel Washington and Remember the Titans at halftime. It's a pump-up talk. You've got what it takes, you guys, to finish strong, so go and do it. So in my opinion, a life of generosity and sacrifice is the highest level of living that a human being can live at. And if you're not living there, that's completely fine. Today, I just need to make sure, as one of your pastors, it's not because nobody's called you to it yet. Today, I want to call you to it because I've seen firsthand that a life of generosity feels a lot like freedom. So if you're taking notes, we're going to call this message as the fourth installment of our Kingdom Builder series, Sleeping Giant. Sleeping Giant. Would you pray with me? God, we love you so much. Jesus, I thank you that your hope shines brighter than our darkest nights and our most difficult and challenging years. Right here and right now, I pray away any spirit of condemnation or apathy in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would awaken the generous giants on the inside of all of us and dare us and challenge us to live lives of sacrifice. Today, God, we put our treasure where our faith is. Have your way in this church. For your glory, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, so anybody who knows me knows that I am an evangelist at heart, okay? Um, But here's the thing, not just for Jesus. So an evangelist is just somebody who's passionate about stuff and then enthusiastically tries to work it into every conversation to get other people passionate about the same stuff, okay? So whether that's Jesus or juicing or or golf or surfing or Marvel movies or the Chase Sapphire credit card, okay? There are sponsors for the weekend. Don't tell Dave Ramsey. 
When I'm passionate about something, I just have to get other people passionate about the same thing. So this brings me to ice baths. This brings me to ice baths. I believe we have a picture of me in my garage in my DIY ice bath that I made out of a freezer chest that I keep at 33 degrees Fahrenheit and hop in every single day, including this morning. And a lot of you are looking at me right now like I'm crazy for doing this. I'm looking at you like you're crazy for not, okay? So I'm gonna convince you, and I I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch. I really don't, guys. For me, it's not about the decreased anxiety and depression. For me, it's not about the increased serotonin levels or the fact that you burn hundreds of calories in three minutes. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about the decreased inflammation. It's not about how awesome it makes you feel. You guys, for me, it's about the energy. It really is, because if I didn't do that every day, I would be tired all the time, okay? My wife and I are two weeks into baby number two, all right? We're two years into a church plant in the middle of a pandemic, okay? I'd be tired all the time without ice baths, so let's just be real. I'm tired, you're tired, you guys, we're all tired. That's why we spend a lot of money trying to wake up, don't we? Starbucks is gonna make $30 billion this year because you're trying to wake up. Think about this. Caffeine is like the one addiction that I could full on admit to having in church in a sermon, and all of you would just giggle. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Me too. Seth Johnson deals it out in the lobby. Help yourselves after church, right? We drink it because it wakes us up at least until early afternoon when you have a crash and you need another cup of it. But nothing, Mitch, and I mean nothing, wakes you up like cold water. Nothing wakes you up like cold water. So here's what happens. You hop in that tub and your body immediately goes into fight or flight mode, okay? Because it shocks your system and your mind actually thinks I'm not making this up. Your mind starts to think, I'm going to die, (laughs) okay? And you start hyperventilating and you think, what the heck did I just do? But then you breathe and you start to realize something really cool, that not only am I okay in the middle of one of the most extreme environments on this planet, but I actually have never felt this awake or alive in my entire life. When people ask me, why do you do that? Are you crazy? Honestly, my answer is I just cherish feeling awake and feeling alive and I'll do just about anything that's healthy in order to do that. Here's my point and I do have one. Watch this spiritual transition right here. Generosity is like cold water for your soul, okay? Because money is important. And giving away what's important shocks your system and wakes you up. And that's not just like a cute sermon metaphor like, ah, I see what you did there. I am being so serious when I say you will never meet an apathetic, generous person. You'll never meet a slumbering, sleepy soul that lives a life of sacrifice. Because giving beyond your means makes you go, I can't believe I just did that. And your soul starts to hyperventilate a little bit, but then you breathe and you remind yourself who gave you that breath in the first place. And that the hands that are holding the whole universe are holding your finances and your family and your future And then you get to see firsthand God respond as your heart melts, your faith builds, 
and you you become part of something bigger than yourself because nothing, and I mean nothing, wakes up your soul and keeps it awake like generosity. Today, uh, my message is just, you, you got one life to live, and all I'm trying to say is, live it awake, man. You get one life to live. After all, this is God, this is the one thing in the scriptures where God says, I'm not messing around. Try me and test me on this. I dare you to try to outgive God this year. I really do. My friend Kyle Negretti would say, find out firsthand that generosity is, a, is an addiction that he'll fund. Paul shares a story about the churches in Macedonia. What did he say? He said, fierce troubles came that pushed them to the very limit. I read that and I go, hashtag 2020. Fierce troubles came, the pressure triggered something totally unexpected. So not hoarding and not playing it safe, but crazy generosity. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than what they could afford. I mean, I've heard of of Living beyond your means, I've been, I've been guilty of that, but giving beyond your means. That's why generosity is like cold water for a sleepy soul because you don't really need God to give at your means. You need him to give beyond them. And so if you feel kind of just half awake in life, like your soul has been sleepy or stuck for far too long. Maybe you just feel like lethargic in your faith, or maybe you're, you're climbing the ladder of success, but you have this low-grade haunting fear at the end of the day that you're succeeding in so many things that won't matter in eternity. Well, the invitation on the table for you is called generosity. To invest your treasure in the kingdom of heaven as a kingdom builder. Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, this is Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So according to Jesus, the number one obstacle that's gonna keep any of us from loving God is loving money. And that's why he talks about it relentlessly because he knows your heart will follow your treasure. We tend to think if I love it, if it has my heart, I'll give to it. No, if you give to it, it'll have your heart. Invest in the stock market. You'll be shocked how often you check the stock market. Buy a new condo and watch, your, watch yourself checking that Zestimate once a week, right? Why do, I want you to think about this. Why do you think God created giving and generosity in the first place? That's a good question. Why do you think God created giving in the first place? To keep the lights on in in heaven, right? I love when when Christians come up to me and say, oh, the church, God God just needs my money, yo. God just wants my money. And, And I think, God, the star breather slash constellation designer needs access to your Chase Checkings account? Bro, how much money do you have? That God, the creator of the universe, actually needs it. No, God does not need your money. God wants your heart. That's why he created giving, because if he gets your treasure, he gets you. And by the way, that is where a blessed life is found. Not always in a fat wallet, but always, always, always in the fruit of the spirit, which by the way, is a byproduct of Jesus having your treasure and therefore your heart. You know the fruit of the spirit, joy or happiness, peace, tranquility, calmness, serenity. How many synonyms do you want? Kindness, 
self-control, patience, contentment. You know all the things billionaires are trying to buy but can't. And I think that's why the enemy has worked so hard to stain and pollute the word giving and generosity. It's like the pastor gets on stage and mentions one of those two words and immediately we shut down like, babe, let's get out of here. Church is talking about money again. Get the kids, right? I mean, let's just be honest. It can be easier to trust the church with your kids than your money. Oh, please take my kids for an hour? Yeah, thank you, God. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. Money? And I get, like, some of that's church baggage. Absolutely. I've still got some religion rehabbing I need to do about being guilt-tripped a time or two, but can we just get really honest as fellow human beings who have way more in common than we don't, who are all in this together? You guys, we love money. We do. And here's what I'll say. Who can blame us? It makes your life better, man. Like you work hard for it. You need it, right? It's just the enemy knows Matthew 6, 21 better than any of us. And I can just picture him at his Monday morning staff meetings with all of his little minion demons trying to figure out how to, how to stall the faith and keep Christians sleepy souls. And so he thinks, okay, if, if Jesus has their treasure, he'll have their hearts. And so I need to uh, hijack that system right there. And so I know what I'll do. I'll make giving a Christian cuss word. I'll take the words generosity or tithe and make them bad words in the church, right? And I'll attach all kinds of baggage to that and make it taboo. And you could argue, you guys, he's done a pretty good job uh, doing that. I've had to repent like a few times this week. God, forgive me for not being bold, Jesus, to talk boldly in in the church that I helped build about the one thing that you would never shut up about. You could argue he's done a good job. That's why you could also argue maybe the best thing to ever happen to the church in Macedonia was fierce troubles and a pressure that pushed them because those fierce troubles and that pressure led to crazy generosity, and from that moment on, God had them. By the way, who's that good for? God? Okay, it's good for them. If he gets your treasure, he gets you. So I was driving home from a a, a wedding about a month ago. I was by myself. Um, My wife wasn't with me, something about being nine months pregnant. Excuses, excuses. But I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Texas, okay? I want you to just get, like, feel this scene just for me, okay? It's 10 p.m., and I haven't seen another human being or set of headlights in 20 minutes. I'm surrounded by cornfields. And then all of a sudden, something in the night sky catches my attention, and I can't explain it, and I'm, I'm not sure what it is. And... I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna be real, you guys, I thought I was about to have a UFO encounter, all right? Like, oh, I'm sorry, isn't authenticity one of our pillars? Guys, I thought I saw a UFO, okay? So picture the scene. 
cornfields by myself, middle of nowhere, Texas, and I'm looking at what, what looks like a centipede or a string of lights crawling across the night sky, and I'm totally not that guy. All I know about aliens I learned from Will Smith from Independence Day, okay? But I'm thinking, did I secondhand smoke something from that wedding? Because I can't explain this right now, but I will not. I refuse to be the, the close encounter lunatic on 60 Minutes. The, the boy who cried aliens, but I can't explain this. I don't know what it is. As a, as a, as a 32-year-old man, half, I, I got out of my car and watched it for about 30 seconds, and then I got back in my car, locked the doors, and kept watching it from that moment on, okay? And I got home uh, late that night. It bothered me the whole drive home, and I'm, I'm hanging out with my friends the next morning, and I say to them, you guys, I have to report something <laughs> slightly shocking, and I tell them the story, and they all look at me like I'm crazy. And so I start thinking, am I? Am I crazy? No, I'm not. No, but like, am I though? <laughs> Was that real? Did I really see that? until my friend Sam School pulled out her phone and she pulled up a video and it was this video and she said, by any chance, is this right here what you saw? And I see that and I go, I felt so vindicated. I'm like, that's it, that's what I saw. How did you find that? She said, I Googled it. It's this crazy new website that has all the answers for every question you ever have. <laughs> but tell me, when you're surrounded by cornfields by yourself and don't know what that is, tell me that does not look like a, a fleet of UFOs coming to get you, right? That is actually SpaceX's new Starlink satellite. So I'm looking at that thinking, oh, Elon, you son of a gun, you got me so good, right? Total, total prank. But I saw that and I, 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 took, I, I breathed out like, oh, <laughs> I'm not crazy, what I saw was real. I'm not crazy. Honestly, I think Paul felt that way, writing this to the church in Corinth about what he saw in Macedonia. You guys, I'm not crazy. They were completely poor and happy. There were fierce trials. There was a pressure that pushed them to the very limit and their response, their reaction was crazy generosity. I'm not crazy, I was there and I saw it. I feel like David felt that way when he wrote Psalm chapter 37, 25 through 26. He said, I once was young and now I'm a gray beard. <laughs> Can't you just picture Mitch writing that in his diary? Dear diary, I once was young now I'm a gray beard. I picked that translation just to make that joke. Welcome to Red Rocks, guys. <laughs> I once was young. Now I'm a gray beard. And not once have I seen an abandoned believer or their children begging bread. They are always generous and they lend freely and their children will be a blessing. Guys, I've lived a lot of life. I've seen a lot of believers be radically generous. I've participated in a lot of these end of year offerings. I've watched a lot of real people with real bills and real burdens give in a way that seems totally dumb and illogical if God's not real. And never once have I seen one of those people or any of those families begging for bread. God just takes care of the generous. 
There's favor on their families. Their kids are blessed to be a blessing. They live freely and lightly, and you can't convince me that it's not real. For my wife and I, nothing, and I mean nothing, has built our faith more than generosity. From being married for six and a half years and, and, and not once missing a single paycheck of tithing, even back when she was in between jobs and I was making $15,000 a year, to end of year givings and different opportunities that come up where we've, we've been blessed to be a blessing and just try, we just try God and we just give beyond our means in a way that shocks our systems and kind of hyperventilates our souls a little bit. And not, guys, he just takes care of us. And I'm not crazy and I can't not talk about it. And I've seen it happen in so many of my friends' lives where they just give freely and live lightly, and it's like their worlds just get bigger. I've watched people try tithing or giving for the very first time, and I've watched as it's like cold water shock their systems and awaken their souls. I'm not crazy, you guys. I'm just an evangelist, and when I'm passionate about something that I believe with all my heart will make your life better and your world bigger, I just have to enthusiastically work it into every conversation that I have because I believe it will change your life and that's why I can say and you guys know this if you've been around this church I'm not trying to twist your arm to give here I want you to experience freedom not write a check to Red Rock Church I want your soul to live fully alive with nothing holding it back not just put some cash in a basket because you feel like you should and you feel guilty right God's got this church. He has proven that to us so many times in the two short years that we have been alive. I don't need to guilt trip. All I need to do is present an invitation or an opportunity. Be bold about the one topic Jesus would not shut up about and go first as a kingdom builder. That's why anytime somebody comes over to my garage to try the ice bath, they don't get in until I do. And I walk them through it, and I explain it, and I show them. That's why I can say, man, give anywhere. No, I'm serious. That's not, it's not a gimmick when we tell you, hey, if you can't buy groceries this week, take cash from that basket on your way out for real. If you want to experience a life of generosity but don't quite trust this church yet, I, I get, hey, give anywhere. You know how many churches could use your end of your offering right now? Give to Austin Stone, Gateway Church, Awaken Church. Give anywhere. We are so in the business of building a generous generation, not just keeping lights on at Red Rocks. Like a real generous generation, not just a generation that would think that they're generous, but one that actually is. Because if we built that, no church anywhere would have to worry about keeping their lights on. In fact, I'll take it a step further. If every Christian in the world tied, there'd be no poverty or hunger. We're in the business of building a generous generation. I just want you to find out firsthand and see for yourself. God wasn't messing around. Watch your world get bigger. Watch your soul wake up, give anywhere, just be part of a generous generation. And if you hear any kind of voices in your head, maybe you hear a voice that says, oh, this is gimmicks, church is talking about money. Like, does that really sound like God? 
Or can we be honest, does that sound like a love of money? And I'm preaching to me too, as the pastor who just told you to give to other churches. Or if you hear that voice like, oh, let's play it safe this year, 2020. I mean, Satan's never gonna dare you to give money. And God is never gonna tell you to play it small. I'm not crazy. I just can't help but speaking boldly about what I've seen and heard. So we'll finish right here. On a quiet, beautiful, sunny Sunday morning, I believe, in December of 1941, 353 Japanese aircraft flew over the mountains in North Oahu towards Pearl Harbor on a mission to destroy the Pacific Fleet. And bombs and torpedoes and bullets rained from the sky catching sailors in their bunks and at breakfast completely off guard. It was hell on earth for 90 minutes and pilots dodged bullets on the tarmac as they ran to their planes to fight back and nurses triaged the wounded and sailors risked their lives for their friends. But at the end of the day, 2,403 people lost their lives. And the attack on Pearl Harbor is a day that has lived in infamy ever since. Later that night, the man who planned the attack, Japanese Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, penned this in his journal. He said, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. That generation came to be known as the greatest generation and the season following Pearl Harbor is historically the most united the United States have ever been. Common enemies have a, a way of generating uncommon unity. Common mission has a way of generating unexpected sacrifice and generosity and living for something bigger than yourself. You guys, they went without paychecks. They took pay cuts. None of them worked their dream job. They risked their lives for each other. And the crazy thing is, it's like nobody seemed to mind because they were part of a bigger mission than themselves. They were united around sacrifice and they were in it together. So I wanna say this, what if 2020 marked the year that the enemy woke a sleeping giant called the church and filled her with a terrible resolve? where Satan and his demons shuddered at their end of year staff meeting because they realized they just took every cheap shot they had and rolled out every strategy they had and all it did was wake the giant of all giants, the church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said it 2,000 years ago when he said, on this rock I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. Nothing that comes for it is gonna take it down. And I just have to make sure we know that that we know that we know how real that actually is because did you know Great Danes don't know how big or powerful they are? And Great Danes are the most frightened and timid dogs. And to me, it just looks funny and a little weird. And I wish sometimes I spoke dog so I could sit down with the Great Dane and explain to it how powerful it is and how it has zero reason to be timid or afraid of anything. 
You guys, I love the church. I've given my life to building it, and it's done so many amazing things so far, but you're here in this room watching this right now because you agree she's just getting started. And sometimes I just don't know that we know how powerful we are and what exactly we're capable of, that God has not given us a spear of timidity or fear. Even at the end of 2020, he's given us the spirit of power and love and self-control and a sound mind. And it just looks weird as the church of Jesus Christ when we're timid. And it just looks weird when that's who our dad is, when we live afraid. What if the church rallied and united around great sacrifice and great generosity? Because I'm telling you this, Satan's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a united church. And in 1941, that happened in our country. And it was a spirit that was more contagious than COVID. And it spread across the ocean. Winston Churchill famously said this, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Hundreds of years from now, when historians write about this era of the church, what will they say? Last year, right before this decade started, I believe so strongly God impressed it on my heart that this decade, the one we just started 11 months and two weeks ago, would be one of the finest hours for the church in our country. And I still believe that, maybe now even more so, because what's like the one prerequisite for a finest hour? Fierce troubles and a pressure that pushes you. Without that, you can't have a finest hour. Without that, you can't rise to any kind of occasion. It's been a crazy, crazy time in our nation over the past few years. I'll throw some stats your way that I've thrown at you before. How about the fact that 70% of young people walk away from their faith their first year of college because one professor who doesn't even know their name says one point and pulls out a card in their house of cards? Or how about the rise of the nuns and the fact that so many people, specifically this, like my generation, want not, like they're called the nuns and they want nothing to do with anything that is faith-based or religion at all. Look at the second wave of angry atheism, right? Look at, the, look at social media and the loneliness epidemic. Look at the watering down of truth. Look at, the, look at anxiety, depression, and suicide stats are going through the roof. And that was all before 2020, by the way. And now we're living in a pandemic and our country is racially and politically divided and people are panicked. And Christians are, are doubting and the future has never been more unknown or unclear. But what if 2020 marked the year that the lowercase kingdom of hell, with all of its small-minded strategy, woke the giant of all giants called the church and filled her with a terrible resolve for restoration and redemption? Because once upon a time, evil came for this world. And God said, not on my watch. And what did he he do? He gave his one and only son. You know what I've been praying for? Not just this church, but the church in our country, a not on my watch kind of mentality. And I've been praying that the world would know about it through the way that we give. You guys, do you know how much resource and talent and time is in this building right now? 
The question is, do you see the obstacles or opportunities? Do you see problems or do you see people worth sacrificing for? Here's my question. What if a year of apparent setbacks was actually a year of setups for the kingdom builders? Do you see what is or do you see what could be? Because I see so much potential and I believe in the next generation. And while I don't know what it holds, I believe the future is bright for the church, not because things will get easier, but because Christians will get better and the world and the earth will continue to groan loud, but Christians will continue to praise him all the more louder. And the enemy might continue to take cheap shots because that's all he knows how to do, but the church will win on the scoreboard because that's what we do, making earth more whole and heaven more crowded as the kingdom builders of the only kingdom that is unshakable, amen? My kids might grow up in a crazy world at a crazy time. But with all due respect, I believe they're gonna grow up in the church during its finest hour. People ask all the time, I wonder what God's gonna do next. But an equally valid and maybe even better question is the one he's asking. I wonder what my kingdom builders are gonna do next. Will they sacrifice for what they want or will what they want, what they want, Will what they want be the sacrifice? I'm telling you guys, the bride of Jesus Christ has not seen her best days yet. Just watch how Paul finishes this challenge to the church in Corinth. He says, so here's what I think. Here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year. I read that and I know he's talking to the church in Corinth. But I just, I just feel like that's for us because something powerful started 12 months ago at the end of last year as we were about to embark in one of the most challenging years and starts to a decade ever. It started at our last year's giving, the very first time we ever talked about giving in our church and decided to de-taboo it and do what Jesus did and not shut up about it. And at the time, you guys didn't know it, but we were negotiating for rent in this building. And God ended up giving us this space as a temporary permanent location for cheaper rent than what we were paying to set up and tear down one day a week at our previous venue. We got hand-me-downs, including most of the stuff you see right now from some of our campuses in Denver. We spent January and February, a lot of you put your blood, sweat, and tears into making this building our home. That room right there behind that mirror glass, Paul slept in that for two months to build this room out, right? (laughs) And then we opened on March 1st and we had two amazing weeks and then we got halted by COVID. but we had the ability to record content to put online. And if God had not gotten us in here before COVID, that would have never been the case, right? We've gotten to 
give out benevolence to people in this church, help people in this room get on their feet, pay for counseling, partner with side-by-side kids to distribute food and school supplies. We've gotten to donate money to other churches, including two church plants nearby. We've partnered with Austin Reconciliation Church to hand out Spanish Bibles at their food bank at the heart of COVID. We gave to Austin's Black Cultural District, District and stocked break rooms with plenty of good snacks and caffeine at three local hospitals during COVID all because of you guys. With Paul's help, once again, we sold all of our hand-me-down camera gear and upgraded our whole package and system to hopefully reach more people online and in the spirit of transparency and stewardship, just so you know, we actually made money doing that. And we took that money and immediately sent it straight to Honduras to build a shelter full of first aid supplies, bed and beds and food for people. We just did this two weeks ago uh, to meet an urgent need in the immediate aftermath of two hurricanes that have devastated that country. And now our lobby today is filled with warm food and or warm clothes and food for people in need. And it, it all started at the end of last year with a not on my watch kind of mentality. And Austin, to an extent, has heard about it, has heard about you, not through what we've said or through what we've posted, but through how you've given. And Paul is saying, in light of a very tough year, Macedonians, Red Rocks, the best thing you can do is finish what you started. Do not let difficulties shake your foundation. Don't you dare let fear be the thing that starts calling the shots in your life just because a year was difficult. Paul says, finish what you started last year and do not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish up, so now go and do it. So I'm gonna be bold, and I'm gonna challenge you um, as somebody who, who will always go first. Even this week, my wife and I had a shock our system, hyperventilating kind of moment. We've breathed through it, reminded ourselves, okay, the hands holding the universe are holding our finances our family and our, our future. And we're putting our, our treasure where our faith is. We're gonna walk the walk, man. We're gonna, we get one life. I wanna live it awake. I wanna live it alive. I wanna get to the end of my life and look back and say, I once was young and now I'm a graybeard. I already have that right now, but I'm talking 30 years from now. I once was young, now I'm a graybeard. And he's just always been generous to us, man. He's just always taking care of us. Our kids are blessed to be a blessing. There's just always been favor on our homes. And I can't even explain it on paper. And I'll never promise you how God decides to provide or come through for you. I know better than to do that, but I can say what he says, that he will do it. I don't know how, but I know he does. The worlds of the generous just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the invitation, if you feel stuck, if you feel lethargic, if you feel apathetic, if you feel like you're going through the motions or you're building a, a kingdom that's not going to matter in eternity, the invitation is the same for you as it is for me, and it's called generosity. And since day one of this church, we've said, we're not just going to say it, we're going to be a generous church. And we're here today 
kind of thriving as a church because that's already who you are. And my message as the leader who goes first is you guys, let's not stop now. Heaven can get a lot more crowded and earth can get a lot more whole. And I have a not on my watch kind of mentality. What if 2020 was the year the enemy awoken a sleeping giant called the church of Jesus Christ to new levels of being awake and filled her with a terrible resolve for restoration and redemption and making heaven more crowded. God, we love you so much. God, I, uh, once again, I pray, the, uh, I pray away the spirit of condemnation and the spirit of apathy at the very same time. Neither of those two things are from you. Pray you'd help all of us just to kind of breathe out. I pray you'd give us vision for our, our lives individually right now, God. I want to get to the end of my life and just know in my spirit that I did everything I could to live it at that level of generosity and sacrifice. I lived for something much bigger than me and my kids got to watch me do that and watch their mom do that as best as we could. God, would you challenge us today, right now? Speak to us each individually of how we can use everything you've given us in all the ways we've been blessed, not to build our own kingdoms, but to build yours, the only one that is unshakable. In Jesus' name, amen.